Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading today is a selection of a few verses from three of Paul's letters. First, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then from Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then from Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in a series focusing on the theme of joining in God's mission, What we see throughout scripture and what Christian theology has affirmed through the ages is that God is a missionary God. He's a God who sends. Mission, remember, comes from the Latin missio, which means sending. So in Christian theology, the Father sends the Son, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit, and the triune God then sends the church, the people of God, to participate in God's mission. But we might wonder, well, what's the point of the mission? What's the goal? And and how do we join in it? Well, that's what we're exploring in this series. And one way to get at this is through the lens of blessing. Blessing. One of the ways we take up our role in God's mission is by being people who bless. And so let's get at this by um, seeing first the reality of blessing and then embracing the practice of blessing, and then finally remembering the power for it. Okay, so the reality of blessing. This is what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 um, so clearly hammers home for us. Listen again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul wants us to see that we are blessed people. And so here, Paul is blessing God for blessing us with every conceivable blessing. Blessing, Paul wants us to see, is is like at the very heart of Christian identity. Paul is blessing God for blessing us with every blessing. But what does that mean? I mean, usually in Christian circles, when we hear people talking about blessing, they're talking about things going well for them at the level of their circumstances. You know, I was just so blessed to get this new job, or I'm really thankful for your friendship. It's such a blessing. Or, or man, God has just really blessed our finances this year. Or, uh, I haven't been sick in over five years. What a blessing. And uh, all of that is true. I mean, those are blessings. It's true as far as it goes. In Scripture, and in, especially in the Old Testament, the idea of blessing is closely related to um, the idea of material flourishing and abundance and well-being. But here in Ephesians, Paul is talking about something so much more uh, than things going well at the level of our lives' circumstances. And we know this because we know what his circumstances were when Paul was writing this letter. And and things were not going well for him. Uh, He's nearing the end of his life. He's in a Roman prison. His health is failing. He's nearly blind. He has a thorn in his flesh. I mean, it won't be long before his head is chopped off. And and this is a man who here in Ephesians can't contain himself and who is praising God for blessing us with every blessing. 
kind of makes you wonder what Paul is talking about. It'd be one thing if Paul had said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with well-paying jobs, conflict-free relationships, nice homes, obedient children, impeccable physical and mental health. I mean, that's something that we can understand. That's something we can get excited about. But spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. See, what is that? It sure sounds pious. It sounds religious. But does it mean anything? We hear spiritual and immediately we're off in some other abstract realm. You know, so often we associate spiritual things with immaterial things. We hear spiritual blessing and, and we're, we start to think of things that lack substance and reality. I wonder if spiritual blessing for all practical purpose kind of sounds like uh, no blessing. And heavenly places, well, that just sounds really, really far away. Might as well be nowhere. And so I wonder if that's how we hear this sometimes. God has blessed us with a whole lot of nothing, nowhere. Well, even if that's not what we hear, I wonder if it's how we live, like people who have been given a whole lot of nothing, nowhere. And maybe that's why our lives are so often characterized by anxiety and discouragement, because we feel like we've got nothing, nowhere. Well, what is a blessing anyway? In the Greek, the word uh, literally just means good word. And if you think about it, in a way, the entire Bible is a story of God's blessing, right? I mean, in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks a good word and creation happens. He speaks things into existence and declares them good. He explicitly blesses the creatures of the sea and the sky in Genesis chapter 1 verse 22. And then he blesses humanity in chapter 1 verse 28. He blesses the seventh day of rest in chapter 2 verse 3. I mean, in the Bible, blessing is right there at the beginning, and it gets off to this really good start. Uh, But then there's this major bump in the road, the snake and that fruit on the tree and the eating of it. You know, for the first time, we learn about the possibility of curse. We learn that the blessing that God intends for his world can be threatened, and it can be called into question and doubted and maybe even rejected. But God doesn't stop blessing. Uh, He blesses Noah. He blesses Abraham. Remember, that's a huge turning point in the Bible story. Uh, Just when things are looking incredibly hopeless, God chooses this one man, Abram, and he tells him to go and to be a blessing. And he makes this promise that somehow all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him and his offspring. But the road ahead is still so rocky. I mean, Jacob, remember, steals Esau's blessing. And it's not too long before God's people begin wondering, well, where is the blessing anyway? They look around and they're looking for the promised blessing and they think, is this what God meant? Because this doesn't seem so great. We hear spiritual blessings in the heavenly places and it's so easy for our eyes to kind of glaze over. It's easy to just get lost in abstraction or to brush this off as so much pious jargon. But what is spiritual in scripture? Is spiritual less real than material? I mean, God is spiritual. Is God 
less real than his creation? Is spiritual even separate from material? When God created humanity, remember he breathed his spirit into a pile of dirt. I think these spiritual blessings Paul has in mind are maybe the realest, most substantive blessings possible. If anything, they are more real than your paycheck or your nice home. What about heavenly places? Is that some far off and future place that has nothing to do with the real world? No. Remember, heaven is not way up there somewhere, uh, and it's not way off in the distant um, future. It's God's space, and it's right here, right now. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's like right here, right now. It's at hand. And so when Paul says that these blessings are spiritual and heavenly, I think he's wanting to say they're more real, more substantive, more valid, more relevant, and more sufficient than we can possibly imagine, not less. I think what Paul is saying is that God has given us every good gift that really matters. He's not talking about blessings that amount to nothing nowhere. He's talking about blessings that are everything and everywhere. He's talking about a universe saturated with the grace and love of God. He's saying that blessedness is our reality. And notice, all the blessings are already given. I mean, this is kind of mind-blowing, and it cuts against so much anxious religion. Look at the language Paul uses. He could have said, Praise God because God is going to bless us someday with some spiritual blessings if. And then the question, of course, we'd want to ask is, if what? (laughs) What do we have to do to make sure we get God's blessing? You know, family, every day we're tempted to live as if that's what Paul said. God will bless us if. We're tempted to live as if Deuteronomy 28 is God's final word. Here's what we find there. You remember this. We read, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So so there's that if. And, And doesn't that make sense? I mean, obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience leads to cursing. I mean, uh, being relationally connected to God in a life of love and obedience leads to blessing. And doubting that or or rejecting it or running from it leads to cursing. I mean, this is the way our hearts are certainly wired. But it's not what Paul says. He says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And in the Greek, it couldn't be clearer. The verb Paul uses is in the aorist tense, which means that this is a past completed action. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. 
So this God we sometimes imagine who is up there with a storehouse full of blessings, just kind of waiting to hand them out as rewards for obedience and faithfulness. I mean, this God doesn't exist. It's not the true God. God is not stingy or withholding. He's not up there in heaven with a bunch of um, good stuff that he's just holding back until we jump through the right hoops. In fact, he has already given us every single good gift that really matters. Now, some of us just don't believe that. We live like there are things we need to do in order to unlock God's special blessing. We think there are hoops we need to jump through before we can get God's blessing. And the result is anxiety and striving and always second-guessing the character and the love of God. Have I done enough to please him? Have I obeyed him enough this week for him to love me? Will I get the blessing or won't I? And you see, family, Paul says you already have it. This is the reality of blessing. We move out into the world as people who have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We move out into the world, in other words, having what we really need. We move out in a position of radical security. The call then is to embrace that and to embrace with it a practice of blessing others. The call is to bless and do not curse. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. He says, bless and do not curse. You know, every day we're faced with countless opportunities to do either one or the other in our relationships with others, to bless or to curse, to use our words to hurt or to heal, to act in ways that build others up or in ways that tear them down, to give generously or to withhold what might help. We have the power to be agents in the world of both blessing and curse. We take up our role in God's mission by embracing the practice of blessing others. So here are some areas where we can practice this. First, we can bless others with our words. We can practice intentionally speaking kind and encouraging and affirming words to others. You know, Proverbs 18 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, there it is. I mean, with our words, we can bless and we can curse. We can give life and we can take it away. You all remember the little rhyme that we all learned as kids. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And and you grow up and you realize, well, that's not true at all. I mean, sticks and stones can break your bones and words can oh, do so much worse. They can break our hearts and they can destroy relationships and they can, they can really ruin our souls. Words can go places that sticks and stones can't touch. Proverbs chapter 12 says this, um, there is one whose, whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, this gets at the same idea. I mean, on one hand, words can cause extreme damage. Like if you speak a harmful word to another person, uh, scripture likens it to stabbing that person with a sword. And, And see, that cannot be undone. You can apologize. You can take the sword out. You can try to bandage the wound, but there will always be some kind of scar there. On the other hand, our words have power to do great good. They can bring healing. They can bring life. I mean, if you tell 
a child how precious and loved they are, that just um, opens up a new reality for them. Words have the power to do great harm and the power for great healing. With our words, we can give life and we can take it away. We can use our words to bless others or to curse them. Paul says, bless, bless and do not curse. Even your enemies, even those who are persecuting you, bless them, do not curse them. I wonder if the Holy Spirit might highlight someone for you to bless with your words this week. Send that note. Make that phone call. A second area where we can practice blessing others is with acts of service. Um, How could you bless someone this week by doing them a favor with no expectation of return? Maybe you could mow a neighbor's lawn for free. Uh, Maybe you could offer to babysit for a young couple that is desperate uh, for a date night. Uh, Maybe you could prepare a meal for someone. I mean, the possibilities are endless, but the question to ask is, how can I meet someone's practical need with a loving deed? Sometimes serving others doesn't feel convenient, and that's okay. Uh, We can practice putting the needs of others before our own feelings of convenience. Doing that is really good for our souls, to practice putting the needs of others before our own feelings of convenience. And so I wonder if the Holy Spirit might highlight someone for you to bless this week with an act of service. A third area where we can practice blessing others is by um, sharing and giving material resources. I mean, this could be as simple as surprising someone with a gift that you know they would appreciate. But it also might mean taking an inventory of what resources you have at your disposal, financial resources, material resources, and then prayerfully considering how you might pivot, even if it's just a small pivot, away from your own personal comfort and security and toward the well-being and flourishing of others. And so maybe there's an organization in your neighborhood or in your city that you think is doing really good work and, and you feel like you want to plow more of your resources into that good work they're doing. Maybe it's been a while since you've increased your giving to your local congregation. The point is, how can you leverage your material resources and wealth for the good of other people? How can you plow those resources out into God's kingdom work? I wonder how the Holy Spirit might stir in you this week to bless someone with your material resources. Finally, it seems to me there's an invitation here to do this blessing together in community. It's so easy to forget this when we read um, when we read scripture, but you know, almost all of Paul's letters are written to communities, not to individuals. The three selections of scripture we read are all addressed to um, communities. God is sending us to bless and he's sending us to bless as a community. He wants us to be a community of blessing. We have opportunities at Christ Prez um, that are kind of official, official ways we can do this. We have a Saturday morning outreach that is continual and ongoing whenever the weather permits. Um, We also have this relationship with Johnson Elementary School around the corner from us where we wanna look for ways where we can bless them and serve them. 
Another thing that you might do, and we're not going to organize this as a church, but just trust the spirit to do this work is like, just get together with one or two of your brothers or sisters in Christ in the congregation and begin to pray and dream together about how you might creatively take up your role in God's mission by blessing people with your words and with acts of service and with your material resources. Let's look for ways to do this together. The word that came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, it still comes to us. Go and be a blessing and the nations will be blessed through you. So we've seen the reality of blessing and we've seen the invitation to embrace the practice of blessing. And now finally, let's just ask briefly about the power for a blessing. I mean, how can we do this? In his wonderful little book, The Life of the Beloved, uh, Henry Nouwen writes this, it is remarkable how easy it is to bless others when you yourself are in touch with your own blessedness. That resonates. I have found that to be true in my experience, that when I am in touch with the reality of my blessedness, blessing others happens almost naturally, almost instinctively. Blessing others is a joy. But I'm not always in touch with the reality of my blessedness. Sometimes I live like I'm under the curse. Sometimes I live like it's up to me to take care of myself, like God isn't really good like he doesn't really care for me. And then when I'm living under the curse in that way, it's really hard for me to prioritize blessing others and caring for others and loving others. And so family, remember the gospel. You know, from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus embraced the blessing of God. At his baptism, we get such a vivid picture of this. The heavens opened up, the spirit descended upon him, And he heard the father's voice. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You know, Adam and Eve, when they heard that voice, they didn't trust it. They listened to the snake instead. And so often we don't trust it either. We also listen to the enemy's lies. But Jesus trusted it and he rested in it. And as a result, he lived a life of blessing He lived for the sake of blessing God and blessing others. And so we see this throughout his ministry. He's speaking words of healing and hope, and we see him meeting physical needs with acts of service. We see him pouring out all that he has in love for others, even for his enemies, even for you and me. Here is the one person who lived a perfectly beautiful life of blessing, always trusting the Father's love, But then at the end of his life, he takes upon himself all the consequences of our refusals and failures to live according to the reality of blessing. In other words, he takes the curse upon himself and he frees us from it. And so in Galatians, Paul tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Family, this is God's love for us. That he would live for us and die for us. And then having risen from the dead, take us up into his mission to bless the world. 
It is remarkable how easy it is to bless others when you yourself are in touch with your own blessedness. Before the foundation of the world, you are blessed in Christ. You don't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it. You are God's beloved. God is so pleased with you. Believe the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.